Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly our reading from 1 Peter chapter 3. And here is the opening paragraph, or at least a little bit. Who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you should happen to suffer because of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of what they fear and do not be troubled, but regard the Lord the Christ as holy in your hearts. And that's where Peter begins. And no doubt, by the time that he is writing this letter, um, he has heard about Paul's speech at the Areopagus. Paul's speech in this kind of um, Athenian university, where they would discuss and debate ideas. The book of Acts has already been completed by the, uh, the writer Luke, and it's been circulating for a while. And perhaps that is what Paul had in mind. But even if it isn't, even if it isn't what Peter had in mind here in 1 Peter chapter 3, it certainly applies. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And what we see, what we see um, throughout all of our readings today are two simple truths that at first seem separate from one another. Two simple truths that don't seem connected until you come to what Jesus says in his gospel lesson about sending his Holy Spirit. The first simple truth, that Christians are called to confess their faith. We use that word confess. It's similar to, it's the exact same thing really, as um, our confession of sins at the beginning of the, of the service, or our confession of faith in the Apostles' Creed after the sermon. A confession is simply stating what is true in God's eyes. And what is true in God's eyes that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. What is also true in God's eyes is that um, this Jesus Christ took on flesh and became human. And after he became alive again, he descended into hell to declare his victory. The first truth that we hear about is the truth of Christian confession. And the second truth, the second truth that um, perhaps your front page of your bulletin kind of leads us toward is that truth that Christians strive to obey God's law. That Christians um, have been given the Holy Spirit. And that now as a Christian, because you've been baptized into Christ, that the law does not condemn you. That the law does not accuse you. And that the entire Christian life, and even the purpose for learning the Ten Commandments, as we do with our children and, and also we review them in church, the purpose for the Ten Commandments is turned around into we should fear and love God so that we do not do this, but we do do that. And you hear that. And the purpose of those commands, now for you as a Christian, now for you marked by the cross of our crucified and risen Lord Jesus, the purpose of those commandments for baptized Christians is to say, how can I live as God's child? How can I use God's divine decision-making to guide my life? How can I praise God with my actions? And how can I live as one who reflects his glory? And those two concepts, at first, they seem as distant from each other as east from west. The concept of, um, of confessing the faith, of always being prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, of in your hearts, setting apart Christ as Lord. And the second concept of living a life of obedience to God's law. And as the rest, the, the corpus, the body of Scripture tells us, that we do not do that as if to earn his favor or pay him back. But we do that because our life has been stamped with the cross of Christ. 
And how can the two be reconciled? How should we reconcile the two? That's kind of the question that we've been talking about in Bible study off and on for about two months, and it'll probably continue for a while. But the short answer is that they are reconciled in the cross of Christ. Because that's where Peter goes in 1 Peter chapter 3. He points to the cross of Christ as the one uniting factor between our confession of the faith and our obedience to God's law. He points to the cross of Christ as the one thing that sets you apart, the one thing that makes you different from the world around you. And that through that cross of Christ, Jesus has won for you his righteousness. He has won for you his righteousness. And as Paul is standing before the Areopagus, standing before this university lecture hall, perhaps, that might be an idea to have in mind, um, that he is standing there, and he's, he's like, all right, what is the one thing that I need these people to know? He actually starts with three. He starts with having set apart Christ in his heart as Lord. And he says, dear friends, dear friends, this is the God who created all people and who determined the time and place when they would live. This is the God who redeemed all people. This is the God who was resurrected from the dead and who will come to judge the world in righteousness. As he stands before them, he makes this clear confession. And what an example for us all. And then the other side. He commands that all people everywhere obey him. That he had overlooked their sin for a time in the past, but there is coming a time and a date when he will judge all people. Do you see the connection? As he is making his confession of faith, he points to the obedience to God's law as a result of God's work and God's work alone. He says, dear people of God, dear Athenians, dear Christians, there is coming a time. There is coming a time when Christ will come to judge the world in righteousness. And what a day. And what a judgment. And if we pause there just a moment, that thought of judgment likely strikes terror, or at least it could or should, give us a little bit of a shiver. You mean Christ is going to judge the world in righteousness, according to righteousness, and he's not going to show favoritism. That's kind of the second element of today's readings when we talk about obedience. Because it would be very simple to say, well, I'm forgiven, and I've, uh, I've got Jesus' righteousness given to me, and I hear the gospel preached every Sunday, and we commune around the Lord's table and receive by mouth his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, and I'm good. And it would be simple enough to put out of our minds all that Christ says about obedience. And it would be simple enough to put out of our minds all that Peter writes about confessing the faith. Well, I don't have to really um, be perceptive to the dangers of the world around us. I can just say, this is what my parents and grandparents did, and I'm going to do the exact same thing, that nothing needs to change, that I don't need to take personal responsibility for the direction that our family is going. Or on the other side, that I'm a Christian and I'm going to live my Christian life and all I want is to be able to live my life in this box 
and to have the freedom, exactly as our First Amendment guarantees, that I have the freedom to exercise my religion, and what you want to do over there, that's fine, but don't interfere with what I am doing here. That with each command of God, and each, um, each guidance for the Christian life, the guidance to confess the faith clearly, the guidance to obey his law fully, there is the consequent temptation, and I would say also the sin that we fall into, of saying, well, I've got the gospel, I've got forgiveness, and it's not that big a deal. My obedience to what God says, um, I learned it at one time, and but that, that's kid stuff. And now that I'm grown and now that I'm older, it doesn't apply to me the same way, and I don't have the same terror about it as I once did, and it's not that big a deal. Whew. Or the other side. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, and what does that look like in the world? It looks like always being prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, and to do so with gentleness and respect. I can do one of those, but both, I'm not so sure. Be prepared? Sure, I can be prepared as long as my answer is the one that wins, and my attitude is the one that crushes their idea. Or do so with gentleness and respect? I can shrug it off, and I can say, well, we're all Christians, and all steeples point the same direction anyway, and it's not that big a deal. And when we see what God says in 1 Peter 3, when we see Paul's example in Acts chapter 17, we see these two simple truths that are very straightforward, that are very simple, um, that are in clear and unambiguous language about confessing the faith and about obedience to God's law. And often, perhaps it's true, perhaps it's true for you also, I know it is for me, we have just enough knowledge about what God says in his word to squirm our way around that. Well, not right now, I, this isn't the right time, this isn't the right place, I don't have the opportunities to confess my faith. Or on the other side, well, you know how it is, Jesus. It's just the sin of weakness, and it's my weak spot, and, and it's just this once, um, but I know you'll forgive me on the other side. That we know enough of God's word to say that my confession isn't on me to confess right now, and that my obedience isn't on me to obey right now. Perhaps the same is true for you where we are familiar enough with God's law that we know exactly um, how to get around it and dilute it and its truth within our own hearts. But these two ideas are united in the cross of Christ. These two ideas of confessing faith and obedience to God's law are united in the cross of Christ, where there, there we have the one who perfectly confessed the faith, as Peter talked about earlier in his book, that when he was before Pontius Pilate, he made the good confession. He said, my kingdom is not of this world, and if it were, my servants would have fought to prevent my arrest. But surely my kingdom is from another place. That he, who made the perfect confession, also, also um, offered his own perfect obedience. That he perfectly obeyed God's law. And so when we talk about... Um, the obedience and the confession united in the cross of Christ, it's, it doesn't just mean 
like I said last week, that the gospel goes along behind us as if to clean up the mess that we've made. But that the gospel and the cross of Christ is stamped upon your life through holy baptism. And that the gospel goes before us. And the gospel changes who you are. So that, so that we want and have the ability to do exactly what Jesus says. Because he is the one who lived perfectly in both confession and obedience. And that perfection and that righteousness is pronounced over you at the very beginning of the service, is placed on your tongue in the Lord's Supper. That perfection and that obedience is yours. That these two things meet at the cross of Christ because Jesus has given them to you as his gifts. Because Jesus has given those to you as his free gift, as his complete gift, as his nothing left to fill in kind of a gift. And that Jesus didn't dilute his law at all, but that he saw my failing of it and yours. The times when the confession is overlooked and shrugged off and said, maybe another time. The times when the obedience is, well, maybe another time, and it's not that big of a deal, at least not right now. And Jesus saw both of those for what they were. And he said, dear Christian, you've been washed. You've been made new. He starts with, his righteousness is yours. Not just in his active um, obedience, not just in his accounting as yours, his own righteousness, but also declaring over you the forgiveness for what you and I have done. And that's the context. That's the lead-up where here in John chapter 14, we're already, you know, 14 chapters in. First Peter chapter 3, we are already halfway through the book. They've covered those topics. And Paul lays out the roadmap for us. That, dear Christian, you were created for this time and place. That, dear Christian, that God had in mind to have you here. Whether it's this city, this state, or the one slightly north of us. To have you here at this congregation. To have you here with the specific challenges of our culture. And the specific opportunities to proclaim Jesus. To confess Jesus. And so those two things united in the cross of Christ lead to the others. Lead back to the confession and the obedience. It's only when we've been brought to the, the font, when, when we've been brought to pronounce together, I've sinned against you, and we hear together that your sin is forgiven because Christ Jesus has taken it away, to receive together that same body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, that same life-giving body and blood, so that you and I can make a faithful confession and faithfully obey his word. And to do so with a clean conscience. Not as though uh, we're still trying on the treadmill to catch up. Not as though we're still trying on the treadmill to catch up with the obedience that is always lacking. But mentally, and spiritually, and really, that when God looks at you, he sees somebody who is as perfect as his own son. And he says, you're Christian. Now look around. Look around at the people and the place and understand the times in which you live. Look around because your Lord has placed you here for this very purpose and he has not left you alone. He has promised to give his Holy Spirit. He has not left you alone. He has given you his word so that we may be instructed in it 
so that we may be led to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. And as a result, then be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have, and to do so with gentleness and respect. Not in the way that the world does of um, saying, I need to win the argument, but in the way that Jesus does. That my goal, my goal is to say, to confess. My goal is to say exactly what is true in God's eyes, and to do so in a way that hopefully um, gives a clear understanding of what we believe, and leaves the rest up to God. If it means suffering for me, so be it. If it means that God chooses at that time or at some later date to bring somebody to faith, that's in God's hands also. But you and I, even though we do not stand before the Areopagus, we do not lecture in some university lecture hall, we aren't typically called on to um, draw upon our knowledge of Greek philosophers as we're trying to discuss our faith. At the same time, you and I are called to confess. That is to state the truth about what our God has said and to mirror that truth in our lives in our obedience so that our confession then in, in talk is buttressed by our confession in walk, which is our obedience to God's law. And what of it? The only other option, hide my faith under, under a bushel. The only other option to say that Jesus does not matter. But what of the people around us that need this Jesus? What of the congregation that God has placed here that needs to proclaim this? And what of your specific place in the timeline of human history and the geography of human history that has brought you here to this place. And so I ask you, yes, consider your confession and consider your obedience. But only after, only after you have fully considered and contemplated the truth of your righteous Jesus now covers you, your righteous Jesus has sent his spirit to encourage your confession and to bring about your obedience. Amen.